the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing today's program. Clark Hilton is engineering. Today, we're going to talk with Lois Anderson. She's executive director of Oregon Right to Life. There's a lobby day coming to the Capitol on Tuesday, the 28th of May. We'll give you all the important details. It's about the Born Alive Infants Protection Act. Maybe we can get an update on some other legislation pending in the Oregon legislature. We're also going to talk with the best-selling author and worldview expert, Sean McDowell. I should say Dr. Sean McDowell. He's the co-author with Jay Warner Wallace of So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. And we'll talk with Kevin Palau. Uh, he is the executive director of the Luis Palau Association. We're going to talk about their event coming up on, I should say our event coming up on May the 30th at Cedar Mill Bible Church. It's called Show and Tell. It's similar in terms of its format to a TED Talk, but it's all focused on evangelism. We're going to talk with him about Palau the movie and Palau, A Life on Fire, the book that's coming out. By the way, you can pre-order uh, and it's going to be available for the first time anywhere at Show and Tell on May the 30th. And we'll get an update on how Luis Palau is doing in terms of his health. It's been 17 months since his stage four lung cancer diagnosis. And uh, we'll find out uh, how the great evangelist is doing. So that's our lineup. We'll also hear from Wes Walterman briefly about the uh, hymn sing this weekend. This uh, Saturday, 6 o'clock at Southwest Bible Church is the uh, last spring hymn sing opportunity. If you'd like to come join us, there's also an opportunity for uh, for dinner beforehand. That's $10 prepaid. The event is free. You need a ticket just so we make sure there are enough of uh, enough seats for the people who are coming. But the uh, the dinner is $10 prepaid and there is preferred seating available as well. You can call the Singing Christmas Tree office for more details. Taking a look at some of the headlines, President Trump on Wednesday trashed the Washington Post and New York Times for reporting on alleged White House infighting over the administration's policy on the Middle East. In a tweet, the president denied that there was uh, infighting between his staff as tension escalates with Iran, saying there, that opinions may differ, but that he is the person who makes the final decision. The fake news Washington Post and even more fake news New York Times are writing stories that there is infighting with respect to my strong policy in the Middle East. He went on to tweet, there is no infighting whatsoever. U.S. Attorney John Durham, the longtime lawman tapped to investigate the origins of the Russia investigation, is no stranger to high stakes assignments that might take him to unpopular federal law enforcement circles. But his reputation as a hard charging, apolitical prosecutor is what colleagues say has made him the go to investigator for highly sensitive jobs. And apparently he has been uh, at it for a, a bit of a a time before 
Uh, we've been made aware of that fact. And shortly after the 2016 presidential election, then Deputy Assistant Secretary of State Kathleen Kavalek and the Associate Deputy, Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr discussed new elite, um, allegations concerning the Trump campaign's Russia connections that were sourced to uh, British ex-spy Christopher Steele, according to documents made public yesterday. The previous month, in October of 2016, uh, Kavalek had met with Steele and documented his political motivations in writing, particularly that he was keen to see his anti-Trump materials come to light prior to the election. She forwarded her written notes in uh, which she also pointed out that some of Steele's claims were apparently false to a senior FBI executive. Despite Kavalek's concerns, the FBI used the information to obtain a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act warrant targeting former campaign advisor Carter Page just weeks later. And New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, widely known to have been uh, uh, pondering a White House run, announced his official entry into the crowded field. I think that makes it 23. De Blasio will uh, rather made his announcement uh, this morning in a video followed by an appearance on ABC News. Good morning, America. Um, They requested uh, rather he requested uh, that uh, the information be made public today. The mayor would be the 23rd Democrat vying for the Democratic presidential nomination following Montana Governor Steve Bullock, who announced his own candidacy on Tuesday. De Blasio has plans to visit a pair of early voting states. He's going to travel to Iowa on Friday, South Carolina on Saturday, a spokesperson says. The mayor's been teasing an announcement this week about his decision, and he's made several campaign-style trips to states expected to uh, play key roles in the Democratic nominating process. Although many residents, uh, some residents and at least one of the two major papers in New York, were not quite so favorable to the job he's done at home in New York and uh, suggested that he wasn't really prepared to lead the nation. California authorities said Wednesday that power lines owned and operated by the Pacific Gas and Electric Corporation caused the state's most destructive wildfire ever, one that killed 85 people and nearly destroyed an entire city. Lines owned by the San Francisco-based utility sparked the deadly fast-moving campfire on November 8th in the Pulga area of Butte County, the State Department of Forestry and Fire Protection said in a news release. In total, the blaze burned 153,336 acres and destroyed in excess of 18,000 structures. The city of Paradise, population 27,000, was nearly wiped out as residents evacuated their homes and vehicles were engulfed in flames. Investigators also found a second nearby ignition site involving power lines owned by PG&E and vegetation that sparked another fire. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey signed the bill to make abortion a felony in Alabama. The governor's office announced that the language in the bill says it will take effect in six months, but the sponsor said their intent was to trigger litigation that could lead to a challenge of abortion rights nationally. And according to the Associated Press, a proposal to ban abortions in Louisiana as early as six weeks of pregnancy continues to speed through the state legislature. Meanwhile, Missouri's Republican-led Senate has now passed a bill to ban abortions at eight weeks of pregnancy, according to AP. And President Trump rolled out a new immigration proposal today. The plan would create a merit-based visa system that gives preference to migrants with coveted job skills instead of relatives of other immigrants. It also calls for new infrastructure at ports of entry to speed up commerce while cracking down on drug and human smuggling. And the White House is uh, rejecting the House Judiciary Committee's request to turn over documents on a broad range of topics, mainly focused on key figures in the 2016 presidential election. No real news there.
Well, on this day, back in 1966, China launched the Cultural Revolution, a radical as well as deadly reform movement aimed at purging the country of counter-revolutionaries. In other words, anyone who disagreed. In 1777, let me get this right, in 1770 on this day, Marie Antoinette, age 14, married the future King Louis of France, who was 15 at the time. And in 1868 on this day, at the U.S. Senate impeachment trial of President Andrew Johnson, 35, out of 54 uh, senators voted to find Johnson guilty of high crimes and misdemeanor over his attempted dismissal of the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, falling one vote short of the two-thirds majority needed to convict. Up next, we're going to talk with Lois Anderson. She's the executive director of Oregon Right to Life. There's a lobby day coming up on May 28th. We'll explain in just a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Now, did you know there is a Born Alive Infants Protection Act in the Oregon legislature? Well, there is. And on May the 28th, you're going to have an opportunity to lobby in favor of said legislation. Well, here to talk with us about that is uh, Lois Anderson. She's executive director of Oregon Right to Life. Thanks so much for joining us. It's good to be with you, Jardine. Well, let's start with the Born Alive Infants Protection Act that is in the Oregon legislature. What is it and what's the status? Well, it is a bill that is modeled after national legislation, and perhaps people have seen news reports from other states that uh, requires an abortion provider to preserve the life of a child who survived the abortion or the born alive infant um, in the same way that any other baby at that whatever stage um, of gestation or how old that baby is, whatever medical care would be given to a child who was born um, without having the abortion procedure. So it's basically treating treating a, an abortion survivor the same as a child who was maybe born prematurely. Can I just interrupt um, for a moment and say how yes. absurd it is that we have to have legislation uh, in order to protect a healthy baby who is born yes. alive, be- even if uh, the mother uh, did not want the baby at the time uh, of the birth, of the abortion. It's just incredible that it, and very telling of our culture at this point that we have to have legislation that says you have to act humanely and according to the Hippocratic Oath in this circumstance. But that's where we are. So excuse the interruption. It, so true. No, no, no. I appreciate the interruption because sometimes, you know, I get on this role where I'm talking about this and sometimes I can't even believe the words are coming out of my mouth. You know, it's just yeah. like I am really saying this, that we have to propose legislation and discuss this, which should just be what you do. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it, it really is sometimes leaves me speechless. Um, but I'm on the radio, so I better not. Be speechless. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this is, we introduced, um, well, we had the, obviously we had the help of some wonderful pro-life, um, legislators who introduced both a Senate version and a house version now, um, there are rules in the ways that the legislature moves forward, and we have been waiting to to have um, sort of a more public lobby day because we've been working behind the scenes to see if we could get um, a hearing for this bill. And that has been, they're not going to do it. Um, I'm sure that's no surprise to people. But um, so we decided that um, we're not going to let this go quietly and we are going to have a lobby day and we're inviting everybody to come down the morning of 
May 28th. I know it's right after Memorial Day, but it works timing wise um, to to ask legislators to actually, there's a procedural vote that they can make on the floor of the full House or the full Senate to pull this bill out of committee and um, to put it in a committee where it could still be heard. So that's what we're asking for. Um, we're going to have information for people. They can show up at the Capitol at 9 a.m. in hearing room 50. Um, there'll be more information going out. Actually, your listeners are getting the scoop. We have not announced this publicly yet. So they're going to be the first to hear about it, but we're going to start with emails and social media, and there'll be lots of ability to get information and to share it with your friends and family. Show up at the Capitol. It's just 9 to noon, so you don't have to spend the whole day. We'll have signs and stickers and information, and we're, we just want to flood the Capitol with the message that um, infants need to be protected. We want to resist infanticide. We're working with Students for Life groups um, in the local area, so... Uh, we're just hoping to have a really positive message. Uh, this is a common sense piece of legislation that seems like no matter where you're at on the abortion trajectory, whether you think it should be legal or not, we should all be able to agree that if a baby survives an abortion, they should be protected. Yeah, absolutely. Again, that's 9 a.m. on the 28th. That's the day after Memorial Day, room 50. And more information is coming. Uh, That's tomorrow. We've got the scoop here today. Yes. Yes, you did. (laughs) Well, while I have you on the line, let me ask you about a couple of pieces of legislation that we've all been following and are very interested in knowing the status of. I'm referring to House Bill 2217, which would expand the ways that someone commits suicide under the death with Dignity Law, and Senate Bill 579 that would eliminate the waiting periods for those who are purportedly near death. What's the status and what what might we expect? Well, we just found out today that after sitting on the president of the Senate's desk for almost six weeks, that Senate Bill 579 is now scheduled for um, a vote on Monday. Now, we don't know for sure if it will happen on Monday as you know, legislative scheduling goes and, um, but it, that's when it's scheduled and we have to anticipate that it will actually happen that day. It is really important that people, even if they have contacted their Senator multiple times, that they do it again and that they ask their friends and family to do it. It's important if you are a medical professional, if you're someone who has cared for a family member or a friend through the end of life and are willing to share some of your story, now is the time to do it. We need to make as much noise as possible um, to try to defeat this bill. It it basically allows, well, not basically, it does allow for same-day assisted suicides for people that are mm-hmm. at the very end of their life who are the very most vulnerable. Um, and it just is it's mind-boggling again, um, and we were hopeful that it was kind of kind of go away, but um, it looks like it, it's not, or it's at least not without a lot of without a lot of ruckus. So, um, House Bill twenty-two seventeen is scheduled for um, a work session. It's also moving forward on the Senate side. It passed the House, as we've talked about. Um, so, we need to really focus on the Senate. And um, if people go to our website, the ORTL.org slash no euthanasia, or if they just Google that, um, there is a, a landing page that has information. It has um, a video of our press conference that we did. It has fact sheets, and then it has a tool um, that you can easily go to and find who your senator is and send them an email. And again, it has a pre 
um, written text. And please, I mean, if you only have two minutes and that's all you can do, please do it. But if you have a little bit more time, and especially if you have a, a personal story that you'd like to share, it will allow you to change the text on that and still send it through the system. Um, and I just really encourage people to do that. I, I know that there's so much going on. It feels like you're constantly being asked because there are a lot of bad pieces of legislation being considered. Um, but I just want to encourage people to not grow weary in doing good, to yeah. keep at it. We need to be the squeaky wheel. We have to let them know we're not going to give up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate that uh, Oregon Right to Life is a great resource for being updated on this information, and folks can sign up on the webpage to be updated. I know I appreciate when those emails come to let me know what's happening and what I can do. Um, that's very helpful, and I would encourage others to do that as well. Well, I appreciate your um, your letting us know about these two pieces of legislation and want to remind listeners that uh, Lobby Day is coming up on Tuesday, May the 28th. Uh, to support the Born Alive Infants Protection Act in the Oregon legislature. And while one would assume the Hippocratic Oath would uh, just, you know, put the palm to the forehead, and say, well, of course that's what we're going to do if a baby is born alive, but we live at a time when that is not the case. So, uh, again, this is an opportunity. You'll be fully equipped to uh, to talk with lawmakers. It's not a confrontational thing. You're just there to represent the interests of those who are born alive and uh, to uh, lobby for their protection. So once again, Lois, appreciate so much uh, the work that you're doing and for talking with us today. Thank you so much for the ability to to speak with you and with all of your listeners, Georgine. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Uh, coming up, we're going to, um, what are we going to do? Coming up, we're going to talk with Sean McDowell. He is a uh, Co-author along with Jay Warner Wallace of So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. So we're looking forward to a, a lively conversation up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 34 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, young people are leaving the church in record numbers. We know that, but what do we do about it? Well, best-selling authors and worldview experts, Sean McDowell, Ph.D., and Warner Wallace, they know that parents, youth leaders, Christian educators can help the next generation embrace a biblical worldview. So the next generation will know preparing young Christians for a challenging world is a practical guide using research-based and proven strategies to help us understand the younger generation and provides the tools to help equip them with the truth of Christianity. So the next generation will know covers how to recognize the uniqueness of Generation Z. I know you're wondering, which one is that? Connect with the hearts of young people, relate and share what we know about Jesus, provide kids a worldview that is significant, and provide Prepare students through movies, music, social media, and current events. Every chapter of the book, So the Next Generation Will Know, features information that speaks directly to various adults in a child's life. Uh, interviews with pastors, apologists, teachers, cultural experts, and examples of people and ministries that are effectively teaching truth to the next generation. Say, uh, my guests, the next generation of Christians faces spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and moral challenges like no prior group of believers. Time is short, the challenges are pressing, and the need is great. Now more than ever, we must embrace strategies that will help young people set their hope in God, remember the works of God, and keep the commands of God 
so that the next generation will know. Well, Dr. Sean McDowell is a best-selling author, co-author or editor of more than 18 books, including Is God Just a Human Invention? and Evidence That Demands a Verdict with his father, Josh McDowell. He's also an associate professor of apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University, and blogs regularly. Um, Sean speaks internationally on a variety of topics related to culture, students, and apologetics. He joins us today to talk about the book that he co-authored, So the next generation will know, preparing young Christians for a challenging world. Sean McDowell, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Georgine. You know, when we think about the challenges that the uh, younger generations are facing, we sort of wring our hands because we, too, face the challenge of how to connect with them in ways that are meaningful and uh, will help move them in the right direction. Can you help give us some perspective on the challenge that both the older generation and the younger generation face when we're talking about being faithful followers of Christ? Yeah, I think that's a great way you framed it, that there's older generations, whether it's millennials, Xers, boomers, and up, looking at this new generation thinking, I don't even know where to begin, how to connect to them. And then there's young people looking at old generations thinking they're out of touch. Uh, they don't have a clue what's going on. And the first point that I want to make that's very important for both sides to realize is across the generations, whatever generation we're talking about, Georgine, is we have much more in common than we do differences. Our common humanity helps us transcend these cultural differences, and we have to remember that because sometimes we focus on the differences that are actually there. So for adults, it really just begins by saying, all right, what's unique about this generation? How do they think? How do they see the world? And am I willing to step outside of my comfort zone, Mm -hmm. reprioritize values in my life, and begin to reach out to this generation, which, as you kind of hinted at, has more challenges just one click away on their smartphones than any generation has ever faced before. Yeah, and I think the challenge is to do that without having a scowl on our faces. I am so glad to hear you (laughs) say that, because... When I speak on Gen Z, I'll often ask audiences, and these are adult audiences, give me words that describe this generation. And people say things like uh, confused, arrogant, uh, disconnected, all these kind of negative terms. And then I stop and I pause. I say, let me ask you a question. Were the words positive or negative you used to describe this generation? And there's like this pause. I wish I had a video of it. Where light turns on, people think, oh my goodness. And I make the point, I say, how we view this generation will shape how we relate to them. Yeah, or don't relate. (laughs) Yeah, or don't relate, exactly. (laughs) So every generation, there's positive and negative. We have to choose to see through the positive, and if we do we can connect with this generation. Yeah. I think about the scripture that says that God is faithful to all generations. He's not puzzled by it. This isn't something that he's challenged with trying to come up with some way to penetrate their hearts. He's faithful to every generation. So if we seek him and we seek to understand this generation, that connection uh, can be made. Now, why do you think Gen Z is the, is the least religious generation? And what are some of the factors that play into that lack of faith? Well, one of the things with Gen Z that's hard to know is, are they truly less religious? Or are, is this generation defining themselves differently and the definition of religion playing a less central role? And I actually think it's towards the latter. If you go towards the 1960s, only 60% of incoming freshmen did not define themselves as belonging to a particular religion. Today, it's over 30-some percent. 
So we're tempted to say, oh my goodness, they're so less religious. And I think, you know what? I think how we define ourselves and what this generation bases their identity in, religion is no longer at the top of their list. It's not taken for granted. But I think when we go back over previous decades, it's not like this generation was necessarily more religious. I actually think they just didn't define themselves that way. So we're kind of seeing the middle hollow out, so to speak. So there still really are a lot in Bible-believing, teaching churches. A number of young people, a significant minority, that do see themselves religiously. But my concern is not so much our identification, but how the secular worldview has seeped in more significantly mm-hmm into a lot of areas of this generation. Well, let's talk about the outsized influence that the modern media uh, has in shaping the worldview of young people. We tend to think that um, the rest of us have very little influence, that that modern media essentially is the primary shaper of worldview. Is that true? And should we um, be uh, intimidated by that if it is true? Georgine, every study I've seen shows that the primary shaper of the worldview of young people is parents. Primary. And a lot of times, because parents are not engaged in relationships, they're not training their kids up in the ways of the Lord. And by default, the media and the other uh, kind of elements in culture shape their worldview. So parents are number one. But with that said, yes, the kind of different forms of media, in particular social media, has a huge influence on this generation. And it's kind of in two ways. One is the message itself that comes through. But second, the medium of social media, the way people communicate is also affecting this generation. I think the structure of their brains, their relationships, mm-hmm. and certainly their worldview. What are some of the common questions about Christianity in particular that you are asked by non-believers in this generation? You know what's interesting about this generation is you actually start to see a lot of the same questions from believers and non-believers about the faith. There's not a huge difference in the questions. And here's some of the top ones. One of them is kind of the intersection of science and faith. Uh, Do I have to give up uh, science to be a Christian? Can I believe in evolution? Kind of that kind of conversation is significant. Second, questions like, how is Jesus the only way? That feels exclusive to a generation that uh, has been told inclusiveness is the highest value. Mm -hmm. And there's also questions of uh, the damage or so-called damage Christians have done. I mean, not only the Inquisition and Crusades, but we've heard about a lot of abuse within the Church even today. And last, I'd say LGBTQ questions of identity and sexuality are really central to this generation. I get asked that all the time. And do you find that most people from, or the majority of people from the older generations are unprepared to address those questions, don't quite know how to answer some of the more challenging sexuality, for example, um, or that they just shy away from discussing them? Well, to be completely honest with you, I don't think most people in the church have really thought through and developed a consistent biblical worldview that addresses the tougher issues of our day. And that makes our task harder, because how can we raise up a generation with more challenges ethically if we don't really know what we believe first? So I think the reason people are reluctant to have conversations with this generation is because they really don't know what they believe themselves first. Yeah, and I think that's such an important point, 
that we shy away because we're unprepared. And I think your book, So the Next Generation Will Know, challenges us to recognize we must be prepared or else just write off uh, the generation that I think has a, an openness uh, to respond to the gospel when presented in a way that they can understand, speaking a language that they speak in the context of the culture that we all live in. I think that's right, and I'm glad to hear you say that, because part of being human is we're made in the image of God, and we yearn for meaning, we yearn for purpose, we want to know truth. Deep in our hearts, we're only satisfied if we know God and we have real community. But the problem is that this generation just has so many distractions around them that they never have to stop and really feel the loneliness in their heart. They can just distract themselves. But I found in the right relationship and a lot of the strategies we employ in the book, this generation is willing and eager to have those kind of significant spiritual conversations. And we should be encouraged by that. Rather than feeling hopeless, we should be encouraged and that there's a role that uh, generations uh, that have gone before, those of us who are older, uh, can play in helping them uh, arrive at that that uh, relationship. Now, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation again, talking with uh, Dr. Sean McDowell. The book he co-authored with Jay Warner Wallace is So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. And we can all play a role in that. But we have to begin by, first of all, just... Um, making young people a priority. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show 50 minutes after four o'clock. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Sean McDowell, the book he co-authored along with Jay Warner Wallace. So the next generation will know preparing young Christians for a challenging world. Well, let's talk about the book and how it can help those of us who have a genuine concern about and a, a love for young people and want to help those who are followers um, to prepare to um, to live out their faith in a challenging world. Uh, let's talk about how the book helps instruct us so that we might minister to those younger. Yeah, the book really uniquely is not a kind of a, a what book in the sense of here's what you need to believe or here's what you need to understand. Although mm-hmm. we have a little bit in there, the book is really what we call a how-to practical guide to put this into practice. So we explain a few things like here's what a worldview is, here's what's unique about Generation Z, here's how they think. But really, we just want this to be like a manual that a parent, a youth pastor, uh, a mentor, a Christian school teacher, really any caring adult who looks at the next generation and says, gosh, I want to help them own their faith, can just take this and come up with some practical strategies to help them really own their faith. So this is after you've um, graduated from seminary and you've had uh, an internship in a church for a couple of years and so that you are theologically prepared and confident that you can address every potential situation that, that might come up. This is really for regular folks, for parents who are concerned, for youth leaders who are concerned, for pastors, for regular folks who are walking along the way and want to bring young people along with them. Yeah, that's exactly right. You don't have to be a pro at all of this. Now, we certainly give a list of resources and encourage people to go deeper in their understanding of theology and culture and apologetics. But one of the studies that we came across that really surprised me, it's the largest study I have ever seen on faith transmission, 3,500 people, four generations, 35 years, by a USC professor, Vern Bankston. They were looking sociologically at faith transmission from one next generation to the next. And you know what the most significant statistical factor was? It was a, quote, warm 
relationship with the father. Now that's powerful. Mm. That doesn't doesn't mean the mom's not important because the father tends to be more of a wild card than the mom. But it shows that anybody can reach out, build relationships, and that truth is best experienced and passed through relationships. We can all do this if we're willing to just step out and do it. In fact, each one of your your chapters challenges the reader to make love their motivation. Um, Your chapters, for example, do you love me? Love responds, love understands, love relates. So that the motivation isn't dominance. It isn't um, anything other than a genuine regard for young people um, and how we can pass along to them what we have learned along the way of following Jesus. Yeah, that's exactly right. I really began the story with a a simple story that was memorable to me. Well, maybe three years ago, I was sitting there with my then three-year-old son at a local coffee shop and a, a fellow maybe a decade older than I am in his 50s leaned over and he said you know good for you for spending this time with your son and I said well thanks why do you say this he goes you know my kids are grown up and they're gone and I sacrificed a ton of money he said I'm a real estate agent and it cost me I don't even remember if he said tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars he said I wouldn't trade it for anything that time is sacred and special with my kids do it and it really hit me I thought gosh we sacrifice for what we love. We sacrifice mm. for what is important to us. Well, what's more important than the next generation? Everybody listening to the show right now had some adult sacrifice to pour into their life so they could be successful and come to know the Lord. Every single one of us have. The question is, will we sacrifice our priorities and really reach into this generation? Because I think they are responsive and open to an adult who reaches out to them in that way. So we frame the book in terms of love. It's about loving this generation is the way to approach them. Yeah. One of your chapters is titled Love Equips, Giving Kids a Worldview That Brings Significance. I think you could ask any kid anywhere, and they would agree that that's really what they want at their core. They want to live a life of significance, um, but don't necessarily know how to get there. Give us some ideas of how we can help them to shape a worldview uh, that competes, quite frankly, with the prevailing worldview of the culture. Here's one simple idea I did recently with my son. He's 15, and when this movie Bohemian Rhapsody came out, which was about the rock band Queen, he asked me if he could go see it. I read up a little on it and thought, well, I've got a little bit of concerns about some of the message of sexuality. I think there's at least a mild agenda in this film. But I looked at it and thought, you know what? He's old enough to talk about this. So I said to him, I said, hey, here's the deal. I'll take you to the movie. You can bring a friend whose parents approve. If when we're done, we just come back home and you talk with me about it for 20 or 30 minutes. He agreed. We went to the movie, brought his friend. We came home and just sat at our dinner table and for probably half an hour just talked about what was the message of that movie? What was positive in the movie? How as Christians should we think about this film? What did the movie say about hope? And we just talked it through. I didn't lecture him, but in a relationship, exploring ideas, helped him think Christianly. So Mm -hmm. our whole goal in this, Georgine, is not to say, here's a whole new plan and all these things people have to do. Rather, we're just encouraging people to say, if you open up your eyes and look around with intentionality, there's more opportunities to influence this generation than you think if you just see it 
and prioritize. Yeah, that's such an excellent point. In fact, one of your chapters, our listeners will be interested in knowing, uh, title Love Engages, preparing students through movies, music, social media, and current mm-hmm. events. These are things they are they connect with on a regular basis. It's easy to complain about them, but it's another thing to seize these as opportunities to have conversation that can be influential in the life of a young person. That, that is exactly right. Opportunity is the key word. Every time I see an article that I'm reading the news, I think, huh, Maybe I could talk with my kids about this. When I hear about a TV show, I think, I wonder if this is one we could watch and discuss. I am always in the back of my mind thinking, what are opportunities to teach kids in the classroom, to talk with my son and his friends, or to talk with my own kids? The opportunities are there. Another of your chapters is titled um, Love Trains. And it, the subtitle is Resisting the Desire to Entertain Rather Than Train. I think sometimes we reduce our interactions with young people to entertainment because we feel like, well, at least they're more likely to like me if, uh, if our conversation devolves to that. Talk a bit about this notion of training um, a young person through the course of just natural life conversation and walking together. Well, we're trying to create a shift in the way some people look at the next generation from teaching to training. So teaching is when we just impart information to somebody. But training is when we prepare somebody for an upcoming challenge that they're going to engage in. So for us, we're not suggesting everybody go out and do this tomorrow, but we take students onto Berkeley's campus, we take students to Salt Lake City, and we get them in conversations with atheists and with Mormons and people of very different belief systems. So when we're teaching on that theology and apologetics, they have an actual event they're looking forward to. So this isn't just information. This is stuff they need to know because they're about to be in the arena, so to speak. So I think we need to look at parenting. We need to look at just any mentoring this generation saying, all right, how do we get kids into the game? How do we challenge them? So we're not just giving them information. Yeah but we are actually training them and it starts to change the way that they value the information and theology that we're talking about. Well, this is an excellent book to help uh, older adults uh, to think through the opportunities that we already have to be men and women of influence and to be motivated by love rather than a sense of frustration with younger, the younger generation. Again, the title of the book is So the Next Generation Will Know, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. The book is uh, published by David C. Cook. Sean McDowell, thank you so much for the book and for talking with us today. Thanks for having me on, George. Appreciate it very much. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. When we return, we're going to talk with Kevin Palau. We'll talk about the upcoming event, Show and Tell. We'll talk about the book, the movie on uh, Luis Palau, but we'll also get an update on how he's doing health-wise. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. We're glad to have you with us. Portions of our program today are brought to you by Liberty Coin and Currency. Well, I'm excited about these next couple of segments because Kevin Palau is going to join us. He's the, the um, what, how, what do I call him? The chief executive, the executive. He's kind of the, the guy behind the scenes that makes so much happen at the uh, Louise Palau Association. He joins us today to talk about several events that are coming up and opportunities for those of us who love Luis Palau. We appreciate the ministry and we want to know how he's doing as well. So joining us right now is Kevin Palau, and it is always an honor and a delight to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you, Georgine. It's uh, fun to talk to you. It's been too long. 
Well, it has been uh, quite a while, and it's good to have you back. You know, the Palau Association has been a fixture here in the Portland metro area for many years, and I think you you really um, marked a place in our hearts and memories with the uh, festival. I think it was the first festival of its kind that the Palau Association had done back in 2008 here on the Portland waterfront. And uh, a lot happened at that time, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting kind of an update of where, where are we headed now in terms of mm-hmm. the impact that the Luis Palau Association has had, not only on our community, but all across the globe. So let's start there. I know there's an event coming up later this month right here in our community. Tell us about Show and Tell. Yes, you know, uh, the, it's been amazing to see the unity in the body of Christ in the Portland area in the 10 years since that festival. And that festival, of course, is this big event. Everybody that was around knew about it at the time. But in the years since then, people might not be as aware of the fact that, you know, there's been great opportunities for the church to work together, particularly in areas like prayer and serving the community. Mm -hmm. Um, More than 300 public schools have a church partner uh, Embrace Oregon is a great effort where foster kids' needs are being met by the church. There's been all kinds of things great, great that are happening. But when it comes to evangelism, um, you know, we realize that we met with a bunch of the key pastors in town, uh, Rick McKinley at Imago Day and John Mark Comer at Bridgetown and many, many others. And we all felt like, you know, when it comes to evangelism, we, we haven't done quite as much. So we're doing something on May 30th, so that's two weeks from today, um, at Cedar Mill Bible Church, which happens to be kind of the Palau family church. My mom and dad were married there, and my wife and I were married there. It's always been Palau's running around Cedar Mill Bible Church. <laughs> so on, on May 30th, in the evening, from 7 to 8.30, we're doing something to try to encourage and inspire and equip everyday believers. So if you're thinking, well, I'm not an evangelist, well, this is for you. Most of us aren't evangelists. Most of us aren't Luis Palau's. Most of us, frankly, have a little bit of maybe fear Mm -hmm. or anxiety when it comes to how do I share my faith, especially in a place like Portland, which doesn't make it easy. This isn't the Bible Belt, as we all know. So show and tell is what it's called. We we picked three amazing national speakers, Mark Middleberg, who was Willow Creek's evangelism pastor for years, Shayla Visser, who heads up Alpha in Canada, a guy named Greg Steer, who's, I would say, the premier youth and young adult inspirer and equipper in evangelism. Each of them are going to do like a little TED Talk, a little short message. We're going to have six live testimonies of six people that have come to faith in Jesus in the last 12 months in Portland Share. So the, the idea is not so much learning a technique, but more what is at the heart of sharing our faith. Can we be inspired and a little bit of encouragement and equipping so I would love to see Cedar Mill Bible Church just packed with hundreds of people that just God's nudging at your heart. And I'd love to be even more effective or more bold or how can I use the personality God's given me? Maybe you're a very shy, quiet person. Wonderful. God has ways that every one of us can be a part of showing, demonstrating, and also sharing our faith. So show and tell. May 30th, which is two weeks from today, 7 p.m. at Cedar Mill Bible Church. People can go to the palau.org website 
and get information about that. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. One is, you know, the old school way of sharing your faith was you had a brochure in your pocket and you pulled out the four mm-hmm. spiritual laws, you kind of reviewed them. And some of us might be a little bit rusty. And then there's also the question of whether or not we should, in a culture like ours, share our faith. Is it acceptable? Should we be sharing our right. faith? And I'm seeing right. questions being raised about whether or not evangelism in the 21st century is the right thing to do. Can you address that? Because we want to yes. please God. And we want to approach our our culture in a comely way, but we may be a little bit confused about both of those things. No, it's a great question, Georgina. In fact, Barna just did a study, which was which was a little bit shocking, perhaps to some of us that love the Lord. It showed that almost fifty percent of young adult believers in Jesus really feel like sharing your faith or evangelizing is wrong. So that's interesting. So it wasn't so much just, well, I, I'm not comfortable doing it, but like, is it even right to do mm-hmm. it? You know, is it going to be offensive? So I think partly it's a misunderstanding of what we mean by evangelism. Yeah, if people think that it needs to be going down to Pioneer Courthouse Square and just cold turkey sharing your faith with total strangers, hey, and praise the Lord, there are some people that feel gifted and called that way. And God, I believe God uses every form of evangelism, as long as it's ethical and not offensive and not yelling at people, I think that God uses different personalities. But mm-hmm. what we're talking about is not so much, you know, an aggressive posture. It's, it's a humble, listening posture. That's what we're going to be talking about at Show and Tell. Most people, the reason that they're scared about evangelism, and again, I'm talking to people that love Jesus Christ yes. and want to obey him, but say, is that for me? That's, that's the pastor's job. That's Luis Palau's job. That's not me. Every one of us, biblically, are called to be witnesses. You know, a witness just says what they've seen. They're not, they're not necessarily having to have a technique and, and, and just kind of like a robot, you know, walking through something without listening. I think that the approach that works best in a place like Portland, and for most of us, is genuine relational evangelism. Being, I think what we need boldness is to step out of our comfort zones and be a little more willing to pray for wisdom, and to just get into spiritual conversations of whatever form, asking people um, what their spiritual background is. When we hear about issues or problems that people express to us at work or whatever, being willing to even do a simple thing like saying, like, you know, sometimes when I face challenges like that, it helps me to just take a deep breath and I just express my heart to God about it. You know, would would you be okay if I I just prayed with you about that? Sometimes it's little things that just open up a tiny door. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to tell you the whole biblical story right now, and I'm going to try to have you pray to receive Christ right now. And if you don't, then it's a failed attempt. (laughs) And if you don't, oh my goodness, I'm never going to do that again. I tried it, and the person seemed, well, most of the time, people just want reality. They want to see, is this real to you? Is this part of your life? Do you really believe this? So I think if it's conversational, if it's relational, one of the reasons we put so much energy into loving and serving Portland as, as a local group of churches, you know, serving our schools, serving kids in foster care, is because those are the things that show people that are far from Christ or that have had a negative experience with church, oh, huh, interesting. I thought these people just met in their building, marched around with, you know, anti-this and anti-that signs and yelled at people and were trying to make everything like the way they want it, these people actually seem to like be rolling up their sleeves and loving people and serving people 
without any strings attached. So I think the way that we live in a loving posture, in a humble posture, is what can then open the doors for, for, for meaningful spiritual conversation. But if we think that it's enough to only love people and never open our mouth and say anything about our faith in Christ, that's not going far enough because a person cannot encounter the living Jesus Christ without at some point yeah. having some sort of conversation, a trusted conversation with someone that they know cares. Yeah. Well, Show and Tell, which is the event we're talking about on May the 30th, sounds like an, a, an attractive and wonderful forum to to think through how I might approach the people that God has strategically placed in my circle of influence through the relationships that we naturally have, our neighbors, our coworkers, family members. Uh, so that we can share the love of Christ. And that's what Show and Tell is all about. Uh, again, we're talking about the event May the 30th from 7 to 8.30. It's a relatively short period of time, and it's packed full of great resource to help all of us find the inspiration, encouragement, and equipping that we need to share our faith. Again, that's at Cedar Mill Bible Church, 7 to 8.30. Mark Middleberg, uh, Shayla Visser, and Greg Steyer will all be speaking, as well as some recent converts here in the Portland area. Yes, people do come to faith in Christ here in the Portland area. <laughs> They and do. you can go to they the do. website, uh, palau.org, for more information on that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, there's lots more to talk about. There's the book, there's the movie, and, you know, we want to know how your dad's doing. So we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero res. I'm talking with Kevin Palau. There's a lot going on in the city, and Kevin is telling us about an event that's coming up on May the 30th at Cedar Mill Bible Church. It's show and tell. And if you've ever been reluctant to share your faith, a little bit fearful, not certain how to go about it, or you just need a little bit of an encouragement, this is a great event. It's an hour and a half, and there's some great voices that are going to be speaking sort of in the TED Talk format about how we can share our faith in the 21st century in a way that is compelling and uh, feels quite natural. Uh, so that's coming up on the 30th, 7 to 8.30. There are other things coming up as well, and I'm excited to get an update from you. I know Palau the movie came out recently. There were two opportunities in the Portland area to see it. And for the rest of us, we're a little frustrated because we wonder, can I ever see Palau the movie? So tell us what uh, what the future of uh, the movie is so for those of us who'd like to see it again or see it for the first time. Yeah, it was really encouraging to see. It was so encouraging to see uh, tens and tens of thousands of people in the U.S. and across Latin America, you know, jump at the chance to just see, uh, you know, a two-hour kind of biopic yeah. filmed in Argentina with amazing, well-known Argentine actors. Um, you know, it, it just gave that, that sense of the early days of Luis Palau and the things that God used in his life to take this young kid with no, really no prospects, no financial means of support and no connections, with, but just with a dream of saying, like, I believe God wants to use me to travel all around the world telling people about Jesus. It's really a miraculous story. But in, in a way, you know, it's not about lifting up this man, Luis Palau, or trying to make a big deal about him. It's really that reminder that God can use any one yes. of us if we're faithful, humble, teachable, you know, those people that know Dad know that that's kind of his character. He's a, he's a remarkably down-to-earth guy, but who at the same time had a big vision and passion. So I think it's also a reminder, like, it's amazing what God can do if we're humble and, and, and obedient 
but go for it. Yeah. So, so we, we've had a lot of people very inspired by it. Um, we're going to be spreading the word. Um, I wish I could say, like, it's available right now on, you know, one of the platforms, Netflix or, or, or one of those. It will be available for streaming in the next month or so. It will be available on DVD. I'll be sure to, to get the word out there. And certainly at Palau.org, as soon as we have the next step of how people can watch it, we will post it on our website. And I'll try to remember to send it to you too, Georgine, okay. so that well, the, you could help. <laughs> yeah, the encouraging thing is it will be available. We can live with it that. Will it will be available. Yeah, so it will can, be. Trust patience us. is one it of the fruits be. of the Spirit. So I think we can yes. we can wait just a little while longer. I had an opportunity to interview Paul J. Pastor recently. We touched on the Palau book, which is coming out in early June. And one of the things that he said about your father as they were collaborating on the book was the fact that he was adamant that this book was not to be uh, to uh, to exalt his life and his ministry. But mm-hmm. as we've always known Luis Palau, he wanted to focus the attention on what God can accomplish through, you know, a regular uh, guy like himself. Now, we don't see him in that way because we love him. We've, we've seen <laughs> right. the fruit of his ministry, but that is his message and his ministry. So we're grateful for that. Uh, but the book is coming out. I'm looking forward to talking with Paul Pastor about it when that uh, when that happens. But tell us about Palau, A Life on Fire, uh, which we're all looking forward to uh, to reading. Yeah, you know, I'm not a neutral bystander, obviously. And I've read all the books that Dad's written, you know, more than 20 of them in English. But I could say without any hesitation, this is the best book that Dad has ever written. And I think the reason I say that, and really I, I give a lot of credit to Paul Pastor, Paul Pastor is an amazing writer. The fact that he and dad collaborated, a younger thinking, incredibly almost poetic author, spending weeks and weeks, right when dad first got the cancer diagnosis, when he was in a very reflective mode and a reflective mood, it ended up being the perfect time. One, dad canceled all of his travel. For the first time in 60 years, literally, dad wasn't on a plane for months at a time. That's never happened. So it gave him the time to sit with Paul Pastor and have Paul just interview him hour after hour, day after day. Who were the key people that influenced your life? So each chapter of that book is based on one key person, his mother, his father, Billy Graham, um, a guy named Ian Thomas, who he heard as a chapel speaker at Multnomah. You know, these people that just had a word for him at the right time, or whose life demonstrated something that became like a key turning point principle in dad's life. What I found so compelling about reading it is it wasn't a strictly a biography. You know, with a biography, it's like, you know, if you really love the person, you might be interested to read a a classic biography. And I like biographies. This isn't so much a biography. And then we went to Russia and then he went to Santiago, Chile. And then it's really like dad, as you look at your life, what were the, the, I think it's eight or nine, what were the eight or nine, I should, I should know, uh, key spiritual principles that changed your life, and who was the person, okay, I just look it up, it's 11, <laughs> uh, who were the people that changed your life and the message that they had that was so revolutionary to you? So um, I was in tears as I read like mm. the first manuscript of it last summer. I can't wait for people to see it. I think it's going to be a powerful tool of inspiration. And uh, it's in bookstores in less than a month now. But I will say this as an incentive for the show and tell event May 30th. Um, it's going to be available the first time people can buy it 
will be at that event. So oh. if you come, you can come and dad will be there himself. Uh, he'll sign your copy. So if you want to come and guarantee uh, a hot off the press copy of Palau Life on Fire and have dad sign it for you, then come to Show and Tell, Cedarville Bible Church, May 30th. Um, but otherwise, of course, if you, if you can't be there, you can pre-order the book right now at palauthebook.org. And I'm looking forward to uh, thumbing through those pages myself. Uh, it's, it's kind of fun because we feel like, you know, Luis Palau is our uncle, our dad, our spiritual yeah. father. Yeah. <laughs> so reading his uh, life story in the context, as you've just described it, feels very uh, at home and comfortable to many of us. So looking forward to that. Now, finally, I, I want to talk about your, your dad's health. It was about 17 months ago that he got the diagnosis of stage four lung cancer. And by no means have the events that have transpired since then, the, the movie, the book, it's not really an epilogue because I, I was at um, Mission Connect. And I know your dad was a little bit frail when he arrived and there was concern about whether or not, and I've I've spoken about this several times on the air, a question of whether or not he was going to have the lung capacity to actually speak that evening. But the evangelist took to the mic, he took to the (laughs) stage, and there was some energy that came from him that just... I think many of us were in tears because we saw when the, when he has an opportunity yeah. to encourage the saints and to proclaim the gospel, there was something that was there in him that he uh, had the energy and the, the power to do so. But how is he doing? We're hearing little bits and pieces of things. We'd like to hear it firsthand. How's your dad doing? Thank you so much, Georgine. And, uh, you know, I talked to him, as you might imagine, every single day. He is doing really well in, in where it matters most. So, I mean, when it comes to his passion for the Lord, his love for the body of Christ, he wakes up every day excited to be alive, genuinely grateful for God's amazing grace. I mean, the fact that he's not just surviving, but I would say in many ways thriving 17 months after the diagnosis, we originally were called, I mean, obviously I'll never forget it, Dad and Andrew and I sitting there with the first oncologist and we knew the news wasn't good. But when he said, look, I got to be honest, even if treatment works, you should be thinking 12 months at the longest. If the treatment works, if the treatment doesn't work well, you know, four to six months. So now to be at 17 months and have dad still able to, on occasion, stand on the stage, yeah. a little more frail, He's got to pace himself. He can't do three services at a church. If he's speaking at a local church, which he's still doing occasionally, it'll be like, well, he can do one service. But, you know, you're going to still see him. If you get a chance to come to show and tell on May 30th, you're going to see a smiling, uh, thriving Luis Palau who is slowing down and who is, is aware of the fact that he's got to pace himself. We're hoping and praying that he can go to Madrid, Spain. I mean, it's, it's very much touch and go. Depends on how he feels, but yeah. we're hoping he can make it to Madrid, Spain in uh, just about exactly uh, one month. We're hoping he could go. So we'll but, you know, about that. Andrew, exactly. And, and the great news is, you know, all the festivals last year, my amazing brother, Andrew, who is, if people don't know him, I mean, Andrew is a phenomenal, passionate, yes. gifted evangelist. Um, we have the largest number of people respond to the gospel in any one day in the history of the Plow Association when Andrew preached in Bogota, Colombia uh, last August. More than 13,000 people spoke to a counselor that evening 
which Incredible. is considerably more than we've ever seen. So I mentioned that, not, not again, not bragging, but just like, you know what, it's never about any of us. You know, God can use any of us to be the, the, the mouthpieces in delivering the good news, but we're blessed to have another plow of angels. Yeah, yeah. Now, I have to ask you, we talk a lot about your dad and how he's doing. Let me ask you how your mom is doing and how we might pray for her. Mm. She's a remarkable woman. Luis Palau doesn't <laughs> do what he does on his own. He is connected with his wife, um, Pat, and she's an amazing woman. How is she doing and how might we pray for her? Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, yeah, pray, pray for mom just for stamina and joy and and. I say it because it's been so amazing. I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to take for granted either that dad continues to emotionally feel good, even as physically there are challenges. Same with mom. I mean, it took a little bit of time for them to get used to being together all the time after decades of dad being on the road so much. But I would say that it's been a joyful experience. I mean, they both have so enjoyed spending time with the grandkids in particular. Uh, the Palau grandkids range from 27 down to, I think, um, eight is the youngest. They have so enjoyed having much calmer, uninterrupted time uh, with the family. So for mom, I guess I would just say uh, love and grace for her. But honestly, she's doing extremely well. She's She kind of is this Norwegian huh very steady as a rock kind of background. She's not an up and down kind of person. She keeps her emotions kind of a little close to the vest. In the case like this, she and mom, she and dad are so suitably matched and uh, you'd hope so after whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, probably close, you know, getting close 58 years of marriage. But yeah, pray, just pray for, for grace for her, continued health for dad. Uh, stamina. We, we we already feel God blessed beyond our expectations. Mm. Well, please let them know how much we love them and uh, are keeping them both in our prayers. Yeah and just uh, trusting, entrusting them to God. And once again, we want to remind our listeners that the event coming up on the 30th, Show and Tell, you are invited to come. And if you just feel that nudge, the Holy Spirit saying, you know, I'd like you to open your mouth and share what God has done for you. Uh, this is a great opportunity to find that inspiration, a little direction and help. Show and Tell, May 30th at Cedar Mill Bible Church. Uh, from um, 7 to 8.30, so it's a good uh, compact time, some great presentations, and you're going to hear from a few people who have come to faith in Christ just recently right here from our community, because it does happen in Portland when God's people (laughs) faithfully share their... uh, Uh, their faith in the context of the relationships he has given them. Well, Kevin Palau, thank you so much for the update today. We look forward to to hearing more about the movie and the book, and we'll certainly uh, be praying for you, the Palau Association, your mom and dad. Thank you so much, Georgine. Bless you. You too. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, this last weekend, I think I mentioned it earlier this week, we had the uh, hymn sing on the east side of Portland. Well, this weekend at Southwest Bible Church, the hymn sing once again comes to the west side. And joining me to talk about that, I called him earlier uh, and asked if he'd uh, pop in and we could uh, talk a little bit about it to make sure that you have all the important details. Wes Walterman joins me to talk about the West Side Hymn Sing. Welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be here. This is two weeks in a row, Georgine. <laughs> face is. to face with you across the desk here. It's wonderful to see you again. Well, I have to tell you, the Hymn Sing this last week, and maybe I just say it every time because it just gets better and better. 
I thought it was the best that that we've done thus far. Mm-hmm. All the songs, the choir was exquisite. Your wife, Coral, she sang the socks off of a Sandy Patty song. It just was a wonderful evening. It wasn't just that the music was great, it, it, mm-hmm. that it was sung well. It's that the music that you have chosen has such depth and meaning. It was a great Saturday night. You know, from the beginning song, I remember we opened with, I will enter his gates, a choir came down the aisles, uh, which, you know, the audience wasn't anticipating. And then they get up there and we start with majesty. And all I said is, let's sing this together. And everyone erupted into, into all the parts and the singing. And from that point all the way to the end, it was just, it was like God took over. The Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit just moved in that place. And I don't think there was a, I don't think there was a dry eye uh, from anyone during that hour and 40 minute, um, it's not really a concert. It, it was just uh, a it's time a of worship. It's a concert of praise that yes, everyone's, exactly. Yeah, everyone's exactly. in on. And uh, it, it was a fantastic evening. And I'm, I'm really looking forward again this weekend coming yeah, I, up. I am too. Now, as I mentioned last week, of course, it was at New Hope Church. But this coming weekend, it's this Saturday, it's going to be at Southwest Bible Church. They're on Southwest Weir Road in Beaverton. Um, just like uh, like last weekend, it's going to start at six in the evening, but there's an opportunity to have a little dinner uh, beforehand at four thirty. Now the event is free. The dinner's ten dollars a plate, uh, and you need to let us know that you plan to uh, to come for that, uh, and that is prepaid. Uh, we also um, request that you um, get a ticket for the hymn sing itself, not uh, at any cost, but so that we make sure we have enough space for everybody who wants to come. Uh, did I leave anything out on that technical side? No, no. Um, I, I want to add, uh, I actually had some dinner. Uh, usually I, I bypass the dinner because, uh, you know, I've got some nerves going on and getting ready for the for the uh, the hymn sing. But this year I was pretty hungry, so I went in there. And uh, the choir ate before the general public came in at 4.30, and so we were clearing out. And let me tell you, that was one of the most amazing things to see two huge lines coming in and people were anxious to get there early, get their dinner. The dinner consisted of coleslaw, potato salad, uh, Reese's Fine Foods donated all of that, as well as their baked beans. And then uh, we had two types of chicken, kind of a jerk, kind of a spicy chicken, and then a, a nice other marinade barbecue chicken. So there was a little something for everybody, and it was it was a great deal for $10. Uh, they had enough dinner for 250 and they ended up selling 450 dinners. Oh so my we, goodness. <laughs> yeah, so we had sold $250 worth of dinner, and they prepared for 400 425 And so we actually had 450 people come through. They had three pieces of chicken left over. So they always plan ahead for those who come to the door and say, you know what? You know, a dinner sounds pretty good. Uh, how much is it? $10? Yeah, I can do that. So, uh, But it's always best to call ahead and, and get it's that. It's really you helpful. Know, uh, yeah, yeah, get that reservation in. Yeah. Now, let me give you the number to call if you are interested in uh, enjoying the dinner ahead of time. And it makes for a great evening. And it reminds me of those uh, fellowship times that you used to have in church where people would come together, whether it was a potluck or right before service. You just come together and you share a meal. You go into the sanctuary and then you spend the next hour, 40 minutes singing these great hymns of the faith. Now, you can call the Singing Christmas Tree office at 503 557 8733. Again, that number is 503-557-8733. You can also 
uh, go to the website um, and uh, get information for that as well. Now, we ask that you get an, uh, a ticket uh, to attend the event just so we know that um, you're coming. It's reserving uh, the space for you. And then you can also prepay for your dinner at that uh, at that time. Now, I don't want to assume that our listeners know what we're talking about when mm. we say the hymn sing. It's yeah. a singing Christmas tree choir is, is playing mm-hmm. a role in this. But explain what it's like, because it's uh, uh, it's I think much more than people might imagine. Yeah. So um, we'll be we'll be accompanied by about 100, 110 voice choir. Uh, there are some there are the, uh, people from within the singing Christmas tree. This happens on the opposite calendar year of our singing Christmas tree during Thanksgiving. So we're just trying to find another way to all come together as a choir. And so we thought, let's keep our hymns alive in our churches, and uh, let's let's do a whole evening of of these hymns. And so we pick out uh, about twenty to twenty five hymns uh, that are really well known: "Holy, Holy, mm-hmm. Holy, Crowned with Many Crowns." On and on and on the list goes. And then uh, what we do is we prepare. The choir is prepared four weeks in advance. We come together re- rehearsing. We also prepare four choir specials that are done. And um, and so it's just an evening of music. And the the listener or the congregation, the audience, participates in all the hymns. They, they're not standing the entire time. Most of the time they're sitting, but the words are up on the wall. Everyone's singing their parts. And so it's it's not a concert at all. It's just a, a time of worship yeah. uh, with hymns, great hymns of the church. And you know, you wonder, people are coming from all different backgrounds and different churches and everything. You wonder, are people going to enter in? Is this going to mm-hmm. be a little awkward for people? But I'm telling you, the minute <laughs> the yeah, downbeat of, right. the, uh, of the band and the choir begins singing, everybody opens their mouth, and the sound in that room is just it incredible. It fills the room, right. It really does. And you look around the room, I tell you... Several times throughout the evening, I'm in tears, and yeah. <laughs> sometimes I can't finish a line because I'm just so moved by the it's experience It's a moving experience, together. right. Yeah. Yeah. And our band is amazing. We have a B3 player. Uh, Paul Greenidge is actually Tim Greenidge, who, who sings with the tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been singing with the tree for over 20 years. That's his brother, is on this B3. He just tears that thing up. Uh, we have a keyboard, a piano, bass, and drums. So it's a five-piece band, and we rehearse with them uh, in, the, in the weeks prior to this. So they're ready to go. But I, I got to tell you, can I just tell you one, one surprise that happened? I was not expecting this. I've been in music ministry for 25 years in local church ministry. And uh, back in the day, I was music minister at New Hope Community Church off of uh, Sunnyside uh, Road off the 205. And we had an Irish tenor. His name was Richard Ellis. He would perform for our big Easter pageants. He would sing the song Arise as Christ would come out of the tomb. Uh, also, he, he was part of our Sunday morning services uh, probably every other month. He would come and, and do specials with the choir. And so um, it, during the concert the other night, during the hymn sing, uh, Paul Willie, our other uh, guest con- or our other conductor, uh, it's my turn to go up and introduce the next song. Well, he takes the mic, and so I stand back, and he says, well, you know, I've known Wes for 25 years. In fact, I started here on this stage singing in his choir, and so I'm listening to this, and he says, tonight we, we want to honor Wes for 25 years of ministry and we have a surprise, and I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> of course, the choir is all clued in right behind me. The band is clued in. I'm the only clueless one there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so all of a sudden, he looks over to our keyboardist, our piano player, and says, all right, Ken, go ahead and start the song. And as the song starts, I'm like, I know this song. We haven't done it for like 20 years, but I, I know the beginning of the song. All of a sudden, here comes Richard Ellis walking up the stage, onto the stage, comes and gives me a big hug. I don't even know what to do. I start... I start bawling. I'm just, I'm just a mess. And he gets up and, and grabs the microphone and begins a singing 
the song I Bowed on My Knees and Cried Holy, made famous by the Brooklyn Tab Choir 20, 25 years ago, and a song that we did at New Hope uh, at least four times a year with Richard as our soloist. And so that part of the evening was just, it, it was a shock, shock to me, but I just wept. Uh, not because of the surprise, just because as that song started to continue, I just know what an impact it was for so many thousands of people uh, when we did this years and years ago. And I thought I would never, ever see the day of doing this song again, especially with Richard yes. Ellis. And here we're reliving the memory. And he, a- after, the con- after the concert, he comes to me and he says, you know, Wes, when they told me we were going to be doing this and it was going to be a surprise, I, I worked on this song because I hadn't sung it for years and years. And I could not get through it without crying just because of the memories and the impact that song had on me so many years ago here at New Hope. Well, it had had an impact that night as well. It was interesting because the choir had uh, arranged to do this. And, of course, you knew nothing about it. And the big challenge was for nobody to spill the beans. No one did. And so we were all so anxious to see the look (laughs) on your face when that song began and the the, the soloist came forward. It was just it was a wonderful evening. It was. Of course, there wasn't a dry eye in this. No, I don't don't think there was. To that song. (laughs) Well, we would like to invite you to join us for a similar evening that's coming up at uh, Southwest Bible Church. That's this Saturday night. The 18th Southwest Bible Church is on Southwest Weir Road. We would love to have you join us. There is preferred seating available if you uh, need um, special accommodation or you'd like to make sure you have a place right up front. If you need um, handicapped seating, all of that can be uh, handled by calling Patty at 503-557-8733. 503-557-8733. And um, you are cordially invited to join us for the hymn sing starts at six o'clock. If you want to enjoy the chicken dinner ahead of time, that starts at 430. And that is a prepaid meal, $10. And you can uh, arrange that when you make the phone call uh, to Patty. Again, that number 503-557-8733. Well, Wes, it's always a pleasure to have Uh, you here. You are a gift to our community and a blessing. Thank you, Georgine. So uh, thank you for serving, and we'll look forward to seeing you Saturday night. I'll see you there. (laughs) Bye-bye. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, yesterday the country observed National Peace Officers Memorial Day to honor the law enforcement officers who have died in the line of duty over the past year. If you noticed flags in your community flying at half staff, that's the reason why. Well, sadly, we're adding too many names to the memorial of fallen officers. Last year, 163 officers died in the line of duty. So far in 2019, 42 law enforcement officers have already died. President Trump, the Attorney General William Barr, they attended yesterday's National Memorial Service on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol. When it comes to backing up our police officers, uh, there are no mixed messages from the administration. The president previously referred to the memorial service as one of the most important solemn occasions of the year, and he vowed to attend it every year of his presidency. Well, at yesterday's memorial service, the president recognized the family of Officer Ronald Singh, who was killed in the, uh, I should say, killed the day after Christmas by a criminal uh, who was in the country illegally shielded by California's uh, sanctuary laws. The president repeated his call to secure the border, end illegal immigration, stop sanctuary policies, and reform our immigration laws with a merit-based system, which he talked about at some length today, that welcomes more immigrants like Ronald Singh, who will be productive citizens contributing to society. In his proclamation recognizing Peace Officers Memorial Day, the president declared, On Peace Officers Memorial Day, we express our unending gratitude to our nation's 
Uh, Law enforcement officers, those brave men and women, selflessly confront danger to protect our families and defend our communities. We also honor those in blue who have been killed or disabled in the line of duty. Our nation's law enforcement officers serve with courage, dedication, and strength. They fearlessly enforce our laws, even at the risk of personal peril, safeguarding our property, our liberty, and our lives. We owe them and their families our full, enduring support. Uh, To all the men and women in law enforcement, please know that millions of Americans are grateful for the job you do each and every day. Again, yesterday being a law enforcement uh, Memorial Day. Also wanted to mention, if you're looking at your calendar a bit further out, there's a Palau Association event that's coming up in the fall as well. It's a major gathering for evangelists. It's titled Connect PDX, the Innovative uh, Evangelism Conference. That's going to be September 17th through the 20th at the Sheraton Hotel in uh, Portland at the airport. The conference is going to serve vocational evangelists and anyone passionate about evangelism. So keep that in mind uh, as you're marking your calendars. Again, that will be September 17th through the 20th at the Sheraton Hotel in Portland. Connect PDX, the Innovative Evangelism Conference, a major gathering for evangelists and those who... uh, uh, care about them. Uh, for more information, by the way, you can go to nextgenerationalliance.org uh, for uh, details. By the way, 20 years ago, the Palau team launched the Next Generation Alliance to identify, affirm, mobilize, and equip gifted evangelists. Since then, uh, they've grown into a network of more than 750 evangelists, all committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ as effectively as possible. Also, in my conversation earlier today with uh, Kevin Palau, we talked about the upcoming show-and-tell event that's coming up on, I believe, Thursday is the day, May the the 30th, at Cedar Mill Bible Church. It's an opportunity to uh, reflect on how we can uh, share the gospel effectively in the 21st century right here in the Portland metro area. It's going to feature some uh, magnificent speakers in sort of the TED Talk style. So they're, they'll be presenting in relatively short uh, messages. They're going to be, um, you're going to hear from, I think, four individuals who have come to faith in Christ here in the Portland area over the last 12 months. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a, an opportunity to learn more about Uh, how our relationships uh, provide us with uh, excellent opportunities for sharing our faith. For more information, you can go to palau.org, and uh, you'll find information about show and tell. Again, that's coming up on the 30th of May at Cedar Mill Bible Church from 7 to 8.30 p.m. It's a free event, and you'll have the first opportunity anywhere to purchase the uh, Palau book, uh, which will be uh, released at that time. You can also pre-order the book at palauthebook.org, but at the event Show and Tell, it will be the first opportunity to not only purchase the book, but to have Luis Palau sign the book. He will be there, um, all things uh, uh, permitting, he will be there as well. So looking forward to that. Tomorrow is uh, Friday. We'll spend part of the program focusing on the lighter side of the news. So I hope you'll join us. I want to thank James Blend for producing Chris Williams. Why am I saying Chris Williams? Clark Hilton for engineering. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.